Well, we are in uh, part four of our series on Ruth. Uh, surprisingly, in a four-chapter book with 85 verses, we're going to have to take at least seven weeks in order to cover this book. And today's chapter is loaded with some really interesting stuff. And I've called today's message uh, Risky Business, because there's a lot of risky business afoot in this section of God's Word. I want to start out with this very simple little phrase. It goes this way, a good man is hard to find. Now, that's the backstory of uh, Ruth, uh, chapter 3, and it contains probably the strangest marriage proposal in the entire Bible. Now, if you're looking for a way to ask somebody to marry you, Bo, you know, you've been through that process recently, the strategy that Ruth applied or employed would likely be somewhere down near the bottom of your list. So here's what we have in this chapter today. We've got a woman who asks a man to marry her, and he agrees. That's kind of unusual, but there's more unusual stuff here. You've got a foreigner, you've got a Moabite woman asking a Jewish man to marry her, and that's extremely unlikely. And if we peer a little bit closer, we realize this is an employee asking the boss to marry her, stranger even yet. And finally, it's a young woman who approaches an older man at midnight on the threshing floor, all dolled up, asking him to marry her. That's pretty weird. That's risky business. And uh, at the same time, this story teaches us that God has his ways. And God's ways are sometimes risky business as well. And sometimes they seem very strange indeed. But we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But before we jump into Ruth chapter 3 today, let me add that the way that couples uh, meet is infinitely varied. Now, those of you that might be married, uh, you can probably reflect back. How did you actually meet the person that you are married to today? I kind of met Nancy on a blind date. I had no idea who she was. And I didn't even ask her out. A friend of mine decided he would ask her out in my name. So that's kind of strange. Now, I'd also know today that some couples meet online. Uh, some couples, uh, I think that was you and Sarah. Uh, there are some people uh, have these dating apps. Some people are introduced by a mutual friend. Or they may meet through work or at church or at a party somewhere. Occasionally, people, when I've asked them, because I've done a lot of weddings in my day, I ask, how did you guys meet? They just kind of go, mm, we're not going to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> I don't press too much further because sometimes they've got backstories that are a little bit strange, to say the least. Now, that leads us back to the story here of Ruth and Boaz. Uh, nothing about their meeting and nothing about their marriage is very normal, at least by what we would call what normal standards. Ruth did not have many good options. Uh, today, uh, I mean, if, if she had what well, we had today, maybe she could have taken an ad out in one of the Branson newspapers. And I wrote her ad out for you. Witted woman from Moab seeks godly Israelite man of character for long walks in the barley fields and quiet evenings by a fire, must like children. Now, that was not an option 3,000 years ago. So, it is hard to find a good man. A good woman also is hard to find. But Ruth chapter 3 
as we explore this today, uh, tells us how a good man and a good woman found each other and ended up getting married. And then there's a whole rest of the story that goes all the way into Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and forever. So it's just proof positive one more time that God works in, God works with, and God works through uh, our choices uh, to accomplish his will. And this story seems so unlikely that, that it's actually got to be true. Uh, I mean, you kind of file this under, uh, what, uh, stranger than fiction. Now, this chapter, I think it'll show up on the screen here, that it, it follows into like three different scenes. You've got a risky plan, a midnight proposal, and a providential pause. And it begins one evening, moves to midnight, and then the final scene is in early in the morning. So let's plow into these scenes. Here's scene number one. It's a risky plan. In those first eight verses that Lair read to us today, uh, harvest time had finally come to an end. And that's the key to everything that is now going to happen. So after many years of famine, we know that's how Naomi ended up in Moab to begin with. There was a good harvest, and um, that's why Naomi knew that Boaz was going to be on the threshing floor at night. Now, when you read the word threshing floor, uh, don't picture a big silo or big barn like you see out in Nebraska or Iowa or Kansas, something like that. Uh, but you have to kind of imagine a flat spot on the top of a hill. So if you imagine kind of a rise in a flat spot, uh, and this would be so that the wind could also blow the chaff away as they were throwing the grain in the air. Now, this is probably one of the happiest times of the year if you're a farmer. Uh, for farmers, because it meant all of their hard work was finally coming to fruition. Uh, months earlier, they had planted all that barley, um, and now they waited for the rains to come. And as the owner, Boaz, was going to be on that threshing floor that night. And uh, he also would spend the night there, maybe with some other people, to protect his grain from thieves. That's why Naomi knew where Boaz would be. Would you kind of like to meet Naomi? I mean, Ruth's a pretty cool character, but Naomi, she's kind of a cunning <laughs> Well, that brings us to her plan, which she, she'd hatched out uh, to provide, quote, in verse 1, rest for Ruth. Uh, she and Ruth had already experienced kindness from Boaz when he came to town. Now it was time to take the next step. And to say that her plan was risky uh, is to say the least. I'm going to go back to verses 3, 4, and 5. She says, wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he is finished eating and drinking. So we know he had a good night, and he was ate a lot, and he's going to go to sleep. When he lies down, it says, notice the place where he's lying. Go in, and this next little phrase, uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. Now, it's at this point we've got to kind of pull the wagon over here and talk about something. Uh, I debated whether I was going to bring this up in the sermon or not, but I thought, what the heck? Might as well deal with what's there. Um, because there's some dispute over this part of the story amongst different Bible commentators, and it has to do with that little phrase, uncover his feet. What does that mean? Well, the nature and significance of the action is somewhat unclear, depending upon how you're going to put Hebrew words together. The Hebrew word for uh, uh, galah 
means to uncover, and it's generally used to express some form of sexual contact. But usually it's hooked together with another word, gala era, uh, uncovering his nakedness. Now, if you don't believe me, go back and read Leviticus 18.5. Go back and read Deuteronomy 22.10. It'll explain it there. So if uncovering Boaz's feet literally meant, you know, she was going to uncover him until he got cold. Um, the word here is until his feet got cold. The Hebrew word here for uh, feet is regel, which is generally used as a euphemism for um, the male part. You all know what I'm talking about. Now, the question is, how on earth would Naomi suggest such a crazy scheme? I and mean, that just seems like really, really weird. Well, um, I'm going to say you can take whatever you want, because commentators are somewhat divided on that, whether it meant this lifted off of his feet and his feet got cold as the evening went off or she uncovered him even further than normal. I'm just putting it out there for you. Now, this, this is pretty astonishing. But then she calls Boaz and he says, by the way, he's a relative, which really is kind of weird, too, when you think about it. And somewhere or another, he's related to who? Elimelech, Naomi's husband. Now, we don't know whether he was a cousin or whether he was an uncle or a, some sort of a distant, you know, what we call what shirt tail relatives. We don't know. But he shared the same family tree as Elimelech. Uh, which means he's qualified to be, as it said in Scripture, a redeemer, or what we've been calling a kinsman redeemer. And to fill, fulfill that role, he had to be related in some way, and he needs to be willing to do it. So this whole kinsman redeemer, we've been kind of touching it. In fact, if so, I remember this, the very first sermon I ever preached on this subject in talkback time, the very first question is, what about this kinsman redeemer? I said, we haven't even read about that yet. You've got to wait three or four weeks. I'll get there. Don't worry, I'll get there. Uh, but the kinsman redeemer, I touched on this a little bit last week, uh, would step in a time of uh, great need, and, and the death of Elimelech would certainly count for that. And they were trying to help preserve people's property and also uh, to maintain their family line. Now, Naomi, being a Jew, knows this, and she knows Boaz, uh, could rescue Ruth and provide a home and a future for her. So he and Ruth uh, could also probably have a baby, which also would preserve the line. And all of this was no doubt in the back of Naomi's mind. She's a pretty sharp cookie. Now, some Bible commentators, I'm going to tell you again, take a pretty dim view of Naomi's role in all of this. Like, what a conniving old broad. Now, I'm just putting that into modern day context. She just seems like she's like, but I, I give her credit. Uh, some people even thought she wanted Ruth to convince uh, Boaz to sleep with her that night. Now, I've already said the plan was risky. That's why this whole thing is called risky business. Uh, it was dangerous for a young woman. It was dangerous for a foreigner, a Moabite, to go to the threshing floor at midnight dressed the way she was dressed. Finest clothes, all perfumed up. Uh, but you can think of a dozen ways that this might go wrong. But remember, this story is in the Bible. That's the one thing I'm going to say. This story is in the Bible, so we've got to deal with what the Bible says about all this stuff, uh, not because we need to do what Ruth did. I don't want anybody, any of you women or grandmas or moms, say, oh, I've got to get a daughter to get married. 
I can come up with a devious plan. I'm, I'm looking at some people here. <laughs> you got a younger daughter. Now, I'm not saying you need to adopt. You do, don't worry about the Naomi plan. You just deal with your own plan with this. Now, but as I read through this, I, I see no evidence that Naomi had bad motives. I really don't. Remember, Ruth and Boaz had already met in the harvest fields. Uh, she had already made a positive impact on him because she was a good worker. Uh, he knew about her loyal love for her mother-in-law, and uh, she knew that they had left Moab. He knew that she was a Moabite. He knew that she was a good worker. Plus, uh, her, see, her whole reputation preceded her. He'd already welcomed her. He had already warned her not to go into other fields, stay away from all of these other guys. He actually invited her to have lunch with him one day, and he actually sent her home one day with some extra grain. Uh, so perhaps romance was already in the air. Might have been. Might have already entered Boaz's mind. I mean, after all, he was a man. Right, Lou? He's a man. He's got this very... Yeah. <laughs> and yet, and yet, we're going to be honest, Boaz could not approach Ruth. Why not? i give you four reasons why he couldn't. First of all, she was younger than him. Second of all, she was a widow. Third, she was a Moabite. Remember, Jews have nothing to do with Moabites. And, and fourth, she was an employee. And in that culture and at that time, this wedding could not happen. Absolutely not. Understanding that, Naomi leans back and says, but there's got to be another way. And she comes up with this risky business, this audacious wedding plan here. Now, the question was, was she, was she a matchmaker? Uh, well, if so, I mean, who could blame her for wanting to see Ruth and Boaz to get hooked up here? After all, Boaz was a good man. Ruth was a good woman. So if Boaz can't, produce, can't propose to Ruth, Ruth is going to do the proposing here. And the details about her dress and her perfume just set the scene for what's going to happen on the threshing floor. Now, this would show Boaz how serious she was. Uh, far from being some sort of a midnight seduction, um, here was a way for this man and this woman to come together and eventually become husband and wife. But I want you to note again, we listen to what Lair read in this chapter, how very specific Naomi is. Uh, she knew Boaz would sleep with his head facing inward and his feet facing outward. She also had to figure out a way to get him to the thre- get, get root to the threshing floor undetected, in spite of the fact that she's smelling a perfume. Figure out where he was sleeping and wait until he was done eating and drinking and probably passing out from a good meal and an extra bottle of wine. Finally, she had to figure out a way to uncover his feet. And again, you can read into that whatever you want to until his feet got cold and he would eventually wake up. But perhaps the most surprising part to me in this whole story is in verse five. Ruth says, okie dokie, not that that's Hebrew for I will do everything uh, you say. I guess I should have done that the other way. Uh, whatever Hebrew, which you want. Now, she knew this was risky business. Uh, there were many reasons why Ruth just said, uh, no, I ain't going to do it. But she said yes. And this is how God's plan began to unfold for his children. See, on the one hand, it looks like the one practicing risky business here is Ruth. But behind Naomi's good plan 
stands God who orchestrates every detail. I want you to remember that whatever big plans you have or whatever happens in your life behind that, whatever you put in up front, understand God is still there behind putting all of this stuff together and working it out the way that he desires. Now, see, faith, um, I'm assuming that because you're in a worship center today that you have a certain amount of faith. Uh, Faith means sometimes taking a risk for God. Uh, A couple of years ago when Pastor Mark said, well, I know you're kind of retired. You're running that coffee shop thing with, with the grind guys, but would you like to plant a place and it's kind of like, oh, man, there was a part of me that said, you know, why would I? It could be a complete flop. I don't want to end my ministry with a complete flop. I mean, that's that's selfish thinking. But that's let's be honest. Thinking can be that way sometimes. And sometimes it means taking a risk. It means leaving the results in his hands. It's kind of like, OK, Lord, we have no idea what this place is going to be, and we've been open now, what, uh, 15 months, something like that. I have no idea. In fact, I don't know that we had any idea. I'd have to have to jump with this. Did we have any idea the day we opened that we would have this ministry opening because of Christian Action Ministries? I don't think so. I never thought about that we'd have people walk in this building, we'd be feeding them and giving them free coffee and donuts. I had no idea who would even show up. People say, oh, launching a Lutheran church. I said, I only know four Lutherans, Ed and Deb and Nancy and me. <laughs> so the answer is no. <laughs> and, you know, how is this all going to work? Uh, well, see, when the sun goes down, Ruth left for the threshing floor. Uh, Naomi was pacing nervously back home, knowing not what would happen next. But see, that's how faith works. It's in God's hands at that point. So if we take a, a step forward... Following the light we have, we just kind of trust God uh, to bring us into the right place. Uh, Sometimes things don't work out like we planned. That's okay. Uh, But God's part for us is always to take the first step. God can take care of the rest of your steps. See, God not only, Bible says, he orders your steps. I don't know if it's in the Bible, but he also orders your stops, by the way, too. He'll do that to you, too. So scene one ends with what? Ruth stepping out into the evening, wondering how Boaz is going to respond and her future is in the balance. And that leads us to the second scene. And this is the midnight proposal, verses 7 through 15. So it's all quiet on the threshing floor. Uh, suddenly, Boaz is like, what the heck? <laughs> my, my feet are cold. Uh, they're uncovered. And he's probably like oh, kind of peering around in the darkness. And he makes out the form of a woman lying at his feet, and he was probably, well, startled. And I have a feeling he was a little bit troubled by all of this. Uh, Maybe the thought went through his mind, is this a prostitute? After all, it was a well-known thing that you could buy sexual favors on the threshing room floor. That's You can find that in history. So Boaz asked, probably in a whisper, who are you? Uh, because her presence probably shocked him. Verse 8, what does it say? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are my family redeemer. Now, that little phrase, take me under your wing, can also be translated as spread your covering over me. It was Ruth's way of saying, and actually proposing, of saying, marry me, 
and bring me under your protection. Now, I don't know if you want to call this a coincidence or not, but she uses the same Hebrew words that Boaz said back in chapter 2 when he described the God of Israel. He said to them, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Hmm, that's kind of strange. You see, she knew exactly what he meant. Uh, as I have come to God for my spiritual refuge, I now come to you for my personal refuge. See, now, Boaz had been a lesser man. Uh, he might have tried to take advantage of her. He could have said, well, you know, let's sleep on it. You know, come on to my covers here, honey. Uh, I'll think about it in the morning. But he didn't do that. He, he responds in three ways that kind of shows the depth of his character. One, he, he prays that God will bless her because of his kindness to her is greater than her earlier kindness to Naomi. He saw that. Verse 10. She, she couldn't have married a younger man. She could have, maybe for passion or money or whatever, but she didn't. But second, she also agrees to do what she asked because everyone knows she is a woman of what? Noble character. Now, that's an interesting thing, too. The noble character is the same word that's used for the Proverbs 31 woman. You ever read that chapter? It describes the perfect woman. And uh, that noble woman is a virtuous woman. It is a, an excellent woman. So, ladies, go home and read Proverbs 31 today and know that that's how God feels about you. Now, though Ruth doesn't know it at this time yet, Boaz has actually agreed to do more than she asked for. She wanted him to marry her, but he has also promised to do what? To guarantee her future with or without him. He didn't say, yes, I'll marry you. It's like, I'll take care of it. But, and there's always seems to be a but in the story, doesn't it? Uh, we get this little detour. Boaz is willing to marry her, but he says there's another guy who's a closer relative than me. And so he needs to have first choice. But in verse 13, he says to her, stay here tonight. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will now lie down until the morning. I'll get some sleep on this. See, Boaz cares so much for Ruth and Naomi that he's willing to let the other guy redeem her. Even if it means that he's never going to get a chance to marry her. He only wants what's best for Ruth. I would call that love. Now, the third thing is he protects her reputation and provides a pledge to Naomi. Verses 14 and 15. Uh, she's, he tells her, you've got to leave at pre-dawn. <laughs> we don't want anybody seeing this, what's going on here. Uh, I don't want any rumors. And then he gives her some grain. Did you catch that? Hold out what you came up with. Well, how much? Well, what he basically did, he's given a dowry. Uh, to Naomi, he gives her six measures of barley. And it makes me think Ruth must have been a pretty healthy woman because six measures of barley weighs about 60 to 90 pounds. That's a lot of barley. Boaz's extravagant gesture back to uh, Naomi was intended to show his commitment to both women. Not only Ruth, but also to the mother-in-law. Now, a lesser man could have said, well, I'll marry Ruth, but you know, Naomi, she's on her own. But Boaz was not what you'd call a lesser man. And so with that, scene two is done. Let's go to scene three. And here's this kind of a providential pause here 
in verses 16 and 18. Now, if I were writing the Bible, and you should be really happy that I'm not responsible for that, but if I were to be writing the book of Ruth, I'd go straight to the wedding. I'd get this sucker over. Uh, but that's not how life works. There's always seem to be a few twists and turns between the time where you want to get married and when you actually do get married. Uh, that's because every relationship is made up of, what, two human beings, and so uh, there are a lot of twists and turns. Uh, no doubt, Ruth went home, and I'd say Ruth went home probably elated and deflated at the same time. And she had every reason to smile because Boaz did say, I welcome you. And I would marry you if I could. And so those three little words are kind of hanging in her as she goes back home, if I could. And there was another man, a mystery man, a closer relative who had the right of first refusal. Um, Boaz could not be that kinsman redeemer unless he sorted it out. Uh, but what if the other, other guy decides to marry her? Well, would she have to do the whole threshing floor scene again with some other guy at midnight? Uh, I mean, who knows what's going on in her mind? But that's when Naomi offers some pretty sensible advice. And it's here in verse 18. Naomi said, my daughter, I like this little word, wait. Wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until he resolves this today. Now, the word uh, wait can be translated to sit down. Yeah. You ever tell anybody this? Come on, sit tight, sit tight. You know, park yourself there. Give this some thought. Don't worry about it. Sometimes the godliest thing we can do is just sit tight and wait. Uh, waiting time is not wasted time if you're waiting on the Lord. So as this chapter draws to a conclu- to a close, it seems like the story has kind of hit a snag. I mean, particularly, you know, all of you read this a couple of times. You already know there's no snag in there. Come on, Pastor, we know that. But I'm telling you that if you did read this first time, there's a little snag in here. But it's kind of a providential little pause uh, to set up the final act. And, and so it gives us time to think about each person in this story. So at this point, I want to go through the, the characters very briefly and kind of describe again what's going on. Uh, Naomi. Let's start with Naomi. Remember Naomi when she went to Moab? And her husband died, and then her two boys died, and she had to come back home. She came home and said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. I'm bitter because of what the Lord has done to me. At this point, Naomi's heart has been warmed by the Lord. Uh, The woman who came home bitter and empty now sees God's hand at work behind the scenes. And so when she returns to Bethlehem, she was hungry and penniless. But that is about to change for good. Naomi's future is going to be pretty bright. Now think about Ruth. Ruth has taken a daring step of proposing marriage to Boaz. Uh, She does it in a way that gives Boaz the option to say uh, no, (laughs) but he's not about to refuse her. Uh, Clearly, the Lord has stirred up something between these two unlikeliest of people. And then think about good old Boaz. Well, Boaz has acted with the highest degree of character when another man might have taken advantage of the situation. Uh, So no matter what's going to happen next, uh, Ruth is going to have a husband and Naomi will not need to suffer anymore. So what about this snag? Well, if I could quote some Shakespeare to you this morning, Shakespeare said the course of true love never did run smooth. I think we all understand that. 
Faith waits for what it wants. You want anything? Wait. (laughs) Faith says wait. You want your kids to be different? Sometimes you got to wait. You want your life to be different? Sometimes you got to wait. Just the way it is. Faith waits for what it wants. I mean, how different it is from the way most of us live. I mean, waiting is often one of the hardest parts of the Christian's life. How long, O Lord? I I wonder how many times that phrase is used in the Bible. How long, O Lord? I mean, how many times have you ever said, how long do I need to wait for, you know, my wife to, how long do I have to wait for my husband? How long do I have to wait for my kids? How long do I need to wait for my boss? How long do I need to wait? All this kind of nonsense. There's thousands of people act, but they can't wait. Have you ever thought, I'm not waiting. And you just did it. And then you went, crap, I should have waited on this one. Yeah, we all spend time waiting for things to happen. Uh, for every green light, if you're driving, there always seem to be at least five yellow ones and about a dozen red ones. Uh, we all need to wait, whether we like it or not. And in this case, Ruth needs to wait for Boaz to take care of this matter. Perhaps it will be resolved favorably, or maybe not. When it cannot do anything else, faith waits on the Lord. Pretty simple. Is that, e- is that easy? No, that's hard for all of us. But waiting has its uses. You know, waiting slows you down. Gives us time to think. And sometimes after we kind of sit and think, we think, I don't know if it ever happened to you. It happens to me every once in a while. You know something? I should pray about this. And God's kind of go, uh-huh. <laughs> You do everything else. I mean, I had somebody I told somebody one time after he described a problem to me, and I said, "Have you prayed about this?" He says, "Oh, pastor, has it come to that?" <laughs> yes, it's come to that. In fact, you just started it. You wouldn't have had to come in and wait. I'm going to waste my time. Uh, but <laughs> I, was, I was there to help him get focused back in the direction. See, was it daring for Ruth to approach Ruth uh, Boaz at midnight? Well, without a doubt. Uh, could she have been seen by other people? Probably. Was it risky to put on an attractive dress and douse yourself with perfume? No question about it. I mean, this story, anything and everything could have gone wrong. This is risky business. Now, I began by saying a good man is hard to find, but a good woman is hard to find, too. In Ruth 3, a good woman finds herself a good man, and it happens through a risky plan that leads to a midnight proposal that ends with a providential pause. And and friends, the fingerprints of God are all over this story. If you don't learn anything else from this chapter, I would just say Ruth chapter 3 shows us how God works through our choices to accomplish his will for our lives. He uses Naomi's plan. He uses Ruth's daring. He uses Boaz's integrity to bring them up to the point of marriage. And though they don't know it yet, this marriage someday is going to do what? It's going to produce a baby who would be the ancestor of not only King David, 
but of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the entire world. So this story is going to have a happy ending. I mean, if you haven't read it yet and you're still kind of waiting to get there, you all know it's going to have a happy ending, but I'm just telling you, there is a happy ending here, but we're not quite there yet. So I'm going to end this message the way I've done it four times before this. Stay tuned. Because you won't believe how Boaz actually solves this snag and clears the way for a happy wedding. But that's next Sunday.